Hello there, and a very warm welcome to episode 6 of the Frantic Football Podcast on World Football Index. I'm Neil Shalat, and I'm delighted to welcome Ben Griffiths once again. How are you, Ben? I'm doing well, Neil. Happy to be back, so hopefully things are doing well. Yep, and we've also got uh, Rafael Adelukba alongside him. How's it going, Rafael? I'm good, Neil. Um, I hope you and Ben are all right. And uh, yeah, the week's gone quite quick, so I'm excited for the football this weekend. Yeah, of course. Lots gone on this week and lots to look forward to as well on the weekend. We'll be we'll be covering all that. We'll mainly be focusing uh, on the midweek round of Eredivisie fixtures where a lot happened, to say the least. Uh, we'll also, of course, be previewing some of the weekend's games, some leagues returning, which we'll mainly be focusing on. And as ever, since it's January, we have lots of transfers to tuck into, some really interesting moves, actually. Uh, but before all that... Uh, we have got a special guest coming on to talk about a club which is, uh, well, rather close to my heart, actually. Uh, the club is uh, FC Zurich, the defending uh, Swiss Super League champions. Uh, and fun fact about me is that I used to live in Zurich when I was really small. At, at that time, I wasn't uh, bitten so much by the bug of football. So I, I now regret the fact that I hadn't actually gone to one of their matches. But I, I do remember their stadium, Leipzigrund, uh, from the outside. Uh and, well, of course, they won the title last season rather unexpectedly. Uh, but this season, they are really struggling. They're down in the last place in the relegation zone. So, it's been uh, quite a dramatic turn of fortunes. So, let's first start by discussing FC Zurich uh, with Craig King. And then we'll have all the other uh, action to recap. Right, uh, as promised, we've got a special guest to discuss uh, FC Zurich this season, and I'm delighted to say that's none other than Craig King. How are you, Craig? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, Craig is, of course, a Swiss uh, football expert, a Swiss Super League expert, but uh, today, of course, we'll be focusing specifically on the defending champions, FC Zurich. Uh, they are currently the only defending champions uh, in all of Europe's top, uh, top flight leagues to be at the bottom of their table. So, some really troubling times uh, going on there. So, uh, Craig, b- b- before we talk about what's going on this season, let's let's just take a step back and uh, look at their history. So, c- could you just tell, tell us a bit about uh, FC Zurich's uh, history overall? Like, Just give us a quick overview, if you can. Yeah, so they were founded in 1896 kind of seen as a working class club and in the city. Of course, their rivals, grasshoppers, are seen more as elite and upper class. And one of their founders was actually Joan Gamper, who played a role in finding Barcelona as well. So they won a couple of titles in the early 1900s, didn't have much success after that. And then in the 60s, 70s and 80s was when they had probably the, the longest period where they were successful. They won seven titles in that time five Swiss Cups. They reached two European Cup semi-finals against Real Madrid and Liverpool. And they only have 13 titles now. So when you consider how many titles they won in that period, seven, they've only added uh, a few more 
to their overall total since then in the 50 plus years since. So that was really a great time for them. And they've had kind of barren spells in between. They didn't win another title until mid 2000s. And then of course they had a period before they won the title last season where they had gone a long time without any success really apart from the, from the Cups. And they also spent time in the, in the second division in 2016, 2017. So they've had a kind of up, up and down time over the last, well, many, many years. And um, last season was kind of a surprise and a welcome return to success because, as I, as I said, they've not really had that for a while when it comes to the league. Yeah, uh, let's also quickly talk about last season specifically because, as you say, it, it was a, a pretty big surprise. They they broke uh, the duopoly of uh, Basel and Young Boys uh, in terms of the title. So, could you just tell us a bit about how, like, well, unexpected it was and maybe, like, what? why do you think they managed to pull this off? Like, what were the factors that led to their title win last season? Yeah, so it was a big surprise, I think. I don't, I don't think anyone really expected it at all. They, they'd finished down in eighth last, uh, in that season before. They were only five points ahead of the relegation playoff spot. They didn't look like a side that would suddenly transform and be able to challenge for the title, especially when you consider that Young Boys had won the title by 31 points, which is a joint record in Europe with PSG for gap between first and second. So Young Boys looked as strong as ever. And for anyone, never mind the team down in eighth, to, to challenge that, it seemed very unlikely. They also hadn't finished higher than fourth since 2015. So... There was just no signs at all, really. And then along came uh, Andre Breitenreiter, who was the manager they appointed, and he just transformed the team. This was a team that didn't really change much under him in terms of personnel, but he was able to bring in this kind of style that allowed players like Usman Dumbia and Asan Sisi to really thrive and lead Zurich to the title. Everything just worked well in that team and it all came together. I do think that Young Boys' troubles last season where they they also struggled with their own managerial appointment where they, they brought in David Wagner and he didn't he wasn't able to replicate the success of of um the previous manager and then of course FC Basel were inconsistent, which they have been for several years now. So those two teams were and were struggling and Zurich were able to really capitalise on that. But for a lot of people, the, the title was in the bag for Zurich by the winter break. They, they were leading by seven points against Basel, and everybody knew, knows how inconsistent Basel have been. So no one really seen them able to claw that back. And with young boys struggling themselves, it, it seemed like there was only going to be one title winner, although it took a long time for people to really believe because, as I said, they finished eighth last season and it you were just waiting for the wheels to kind of fall off, but it just didn't happen. And they deserved their title in the end. They they even had space to drop a lot of points in the last half of the season because they were so far in front, they were able to just kind of stroll to the title. It was a big surprise all around. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and you mentioned uh, Andre Breidenreiter there. So let, let's talk about what's changed uh, over the last summer, like after the title win uh, and leading into this season. Because, of course, Breidenreiter left for Hoffenheim. Uh, of course, as is the case with uh, most such you know surprising title winners, they also lost a number of key players. But were there any other uh, 
like major changes that perhaps might have led to this season uh, being such a well, disaster so far? I think the, the three the points you made there are the main ones. You, you know, you lost your manager to, to the Bundesliga and his, his influence on that title win, it can't be overstated. He, he really transformed that team in general. And I think it would have been difficult for anyone to come in and make this team challenge again for the title. I, I think I said in my predictions before the season that Zurich so would finish kind of mid-table. I didn't see them challenging again. I didn't. I certainly didn't see them finishing near the bottom. But I would. I think it would have been hard for any manager to kind of keep that that form up. And of course, they lost those key players. They lost twenty goals when CC moved to Serie A. Dumbia moved to Organo in the Super League, and that was another big miss. Even Blas Kramer, who didn't score as many goals, but he still came in with a few goals in that title winning season. All those players weren't adequately replaced, adequately replaced. And then the manager, as I said, he left and their appointment, their replacement just wasn't up to scratch. They brought in Franco Foda, who I'd seen before managing for Austria, but I didn't really know much about him. I knew he was quite defensive. I wasn't very optimistic about his appointment. But people in Austria, people who followed Austrian football, they, they kind of put out the warnings that this this manager's not going to be a good fit because he is so cautious and he hadn't he hadn't done well with Austria. He had to deal with a team that lost a lot of games and had low attendances because his football just didn't really excite and it didn't seem like this was going to be a good match. So the writing was kind of on the wall and a lot of people had a negative opinion before a ball was even kicked with him and that that was um, that obviously doesn't help. So then when the season starts and it doesn't go well, everything was on the back foot right from the start. But again, I don't think anyone really would have expected, even with this appointment, even with the, the manager who'd done so much leaving and all those key players leaving, I really don't think anyone would have expected that them to fall this hard. I don't think many would have said they would have been bottom of the table behind Winterthur, who just got promoted last season after being away since 1985, who don't really have as many well-known players as Zurich. And it's just, it's hard to make sense of. And it all comes down to the fact that they should be doing a lot better than they are. They have the team to be doing better than they are. But I think it's a series of decisions after those changes to the team, just just put them on the back foot generally. Yeah, uh, of course you... Touched on uh, Franco Forda there, uh, who was, of course, uh, sacked pretty quickly. Uh, and then uh, his his replacement was uh, Bo Hendriksen, who's a Danish manager, previously worked at uh, Horsens and Midgelont in the Superliga. So just wanted to ask you how he's been getting on. Uh, you know, he's had a few games in charge. They haven't, uh, at least looking at the results, they haven't uh, turned things around too much, but they did get a couple of uh, important wins in the league. So... After being basically winless under Foda, so how do you rate his tenure so far? Yeah, so he was appointed in October, and he's he still seems to be kind of finding his feet in the job. He's definitely made them harder to beat. They started off as Rain started off with two draws, two goalless draws against Young Boys in Basel. The the game against Basel away from home was actually 
a lot of people thought that was one of the worst games in uh, Super League history. Um, but yeah, those were two big results just because they were expected to lose those games. Definitely because young boys are, are flying this season and Basel have been quite good at home. And they managed to kind of stop the rot of defeats and get two points on the board from two difficult games. But they still kind of found goal scoring a problem. And they have won a couple of games since. They did score four against Servette before the winter break and they, they got two against Ozem last weekend. But it seems like they're, they're still a work in progress. I think there's a lot of... I think Henriksen's had to pick up the pieces quite a lot here because he's, he, he inherited a mess, really. I think if he had came in in the summer instead of Franco Foda, then we wouldn't really be having this discussion about Zurich being bottom of the table. But because he's came in mid-season and he's had to, he's not, he hadn't had the transfer window or anything like that to try and improve this team. And um, now I think he's he's doing that, but I don't know if we'll really see too many changes overall until the summer when he can make more of a mark on the team. That's if he, he manages to last that long if things improve. But it is going the right direction. Finally, they are still bottom of the table as we've discussed, but. They, they've, they're picking up more points than they had previously. They'd went 10 games without a win at the start of the season and he's managed to, to get a couple of wins under his belt and he's he's picking up more points. So it looks promising, but it's still quite early to see. Uh, yeah, and I think before we get on to what your predictions are for their season, let's also quickly talk about the Swiss Super League as a whole because, uh, of course, there's a format change uh, well, we're rather in the middle of a format change this season, uh, and of course that uh, is affecting the rele- the relegation picture. So, could you just talk to us about a bit about what's going on? And I know there was some uh, controversy about uh, the some a play a potential playoff format. Uh, so, could you just fill us in about what all that was? Yeah, so it was quite a controversial time. Even I visited Switzerland in October and. That was kind of every stadium you went to, there was protests about the playoffs coming in. What that was basically was that the league is going to be expanded to 12 teams, which I think is a much needed change. I think 10 teams just isn't, there's not enough variety in that. And you've also got teams in the, in the second division like Lausanne and teams like this who would really add to the Super League. So I think that's a good thing. But they were also going to bring in the playoff system, which is similar to what we see in the, the Women's Super League in Switzerland, where it doesn't really matter who finishes top of the table. They're going to end up in a playoff system with a few other teams where ultimately it will come down to a final match to decide who the champion is going to be. It's also seen in, in America and MLS and in Australia as well. And these games are always dramatic and I'm sure they make good money for the leagues and all that sort of stuff, but I don't think it really it takes away from the overall product of this of the whole season because it really feels like a lot of that doesn't matter. For example, if you take young boys when they won the title by 31 points, if they'd had an off day and a supposed playoff and then lost that title, it just feels unjust in that. I think was the the sticking point for a lot of people. I I don't think that's necessarily fair. We even seen it. I mentioned the women's super league. Servette finished top of that table last season, and then 
they lost out on the playoffs on penalties to Zurich and didn't win the title. So it just it does seem quite unjust because to me and to a lot of people, if you finish top of the table, then that is your champion. You've the, the table doesn't lie over the course of a season. And thankfully that after much fan pressure that's been taken away now. It's going to the league will be expanded, but they're not going to bring in the playoff system. And that's a that's a huge win for for everyone, for for the fans especially. And it's good for the, that the clubs have also listened because sometimes sometimes as we all know, football clubs don't always listen, but they did on this occasion. They they've done the right thing. And so there won't be too much drastic change. As you mentioned, there's going to be some an extra relegation spot, possibly three teams going down if the relegation playoff um, ends in favour of the Challenge League team. But um, apart from the two more teams making up the season next season, then it's going to be uh, pretty similar to what we've known. Right. Um, so with that in mind, uh, let's hear your predictions for uh, Zurich season. I, I'm just looking at uh, some some data because I, I I do like uh, to look at the like the 538 predictions for example, and they're currently giving Zurich uh, a f- for a 15 chance of finishing last. And if if you do look at their underlying numbers uh, in terms of their xG and everything, then they they are current they have been a bit unlucky this season is what it would suggest because they've scored about six fewer goals than their XG would uh, suggest and uh, they've conceded about 10 more. So it, it is, and, and as you said, they, they are seemingly heading in the right direction under Bo Henriksen. So w- w- with that in mind, w- w- how do you see their uh, season ending? Do you think they can pull away from the relegation zone a bit? Or do you think they can jump over Winterthur? I think they'll, they'll finish ahead of Winterthur. I think they will they'll get themselves out of the, the mess that they're in at the bottom. But they've really made it difficult for themselves by putting having this run of form. I would like to think they'd also they're also good enough to avoid the playoff. And that, they are heading in that in the right direction. So they, they definitely can do. But I don't think they'll finish much higher than that. I think they've given themselves too much hard work to do at this point. But I don't think they should be in any relegation trouble if if Bo Henriksen does the job that's now expected of him, then they shouldn't be. Because this team, for me, just it's not the best team in the league by any means. It's probably a mid-table team that, or just under that, but it's certainly not one that should be fighting relegation. And I think the performances will start to show that. They have had games, even those games before the winter break, where they, they lost. They still had a lot of chances. They had they played a lot better, so the signs are there. Of course, you need to put that into action, and it will be interesting to see how they respond to the draw with Lausanne last weekend because they weren't particularly good in that game, and then they, they brought on a new striker that, that they signed on loan from Salzburg, and he scored twice in the last few minutes to, to salvage a point. So, again, not ideal, but that mentality to keep fighting and bring the game back and earn a point hasn't necessarily been there for a long period of the season. So it's kind of, it could almost go the other way. You know, it's heading towards the right direction, but they seem to kind of still be in the middle and hopefully they keep going that way because the team is good enough and it should be 
doing a lot better than that is. Right. Uh, well, I think I think that's about it uh, for me. Thank you very, very much for your time, Craig, and your insights. Really appreciate it. Of course, uh, Zurich will be playing this Sunday next against uh, St. Gallen, who are up in third. So that, that will be the next fixture, and that should be very interesting to watch. Uh, and yeah, we, we'll be keeping an eye on that. But uh, now we've got some other matches to discuss uh, on the podcast. Uh, so let's start doing that. Okay. That was a lovely chat uh, on FC Zurich with Craig. But as I said, we've got lots more to look forward to and indeed to recap. So let's start uh, with the midweek round of Eredivisie fixtures because as I said, a lot went down. Of course, we've covered the title race recently uh, in the last couple of episodes and there were lots of uh, twists and turns, uh, starting with uh, PSV, who lost to uh, FC MN, who are a newly promoted side. Uh, and this was, I believe, their first defeat in five games. Uh, on the following day, uh, both AZ and league leaders Feyenoord uh, won their matches relatively comfortably. FC Twente could only manage a 2-2 draw with Vitesse, even though they had, uh, well, they had a last-minute winner ruled out by VR for offside. And then uh, just last night, on Thursday night, uh, Ajax were in action against a newly promoted Volendam, and they could only manage a 1-1 draw in well, what was one of the most incredible matches I've watched because uh, Ajax. Ha- Attempted about 20 shots worth about 2.5 XG in the first hour, but they couldn't score. And then Volendam took the lead from a set piece with what was their first shot of the whole game in the 59th minute. And then, of course, Ajax uh, attacked more. They sent on like all the strikers in the squad, basically. And they managed to equalize in the 80th minute uh, through substitutes uh, Mohamed uh, Kudus, who was set up by Lorenzo Luca. But that's all they could get. They could only get a point after a match where they had 83% of possession, which I believe is some sort of league record. A 3.84 uh, was their final XG figure. 31 shots attempted, four big chances, uh, but just the one goal uh, and just the one point. So that's six straight draws for them in the league. They, they haven't won an Eredivisie match since the 22nd of October. Of course, we had the World Cup in the middle, which is why... That run is uh, rather extended, but still, that is a long, long time. Three whole months without a league win for Ajax. Uh, and as you might expect, that is certainly not the sort of performance the, their fans nor their uh, their club hierarchy has come to expect. So, just a few hours after this result, uh, uh, Alfred Schroeder uh, was sacked. The club uh, put out a statement to that effect. I, I, on, while watching the match, I heard the comment, I forget who it was, but uh, the commentator basically said that Schroeder had reportedly been given four games. But, well, it was just one more left for him because after this, he's been sacked. Uh, lots of names flying around. Uh, we'll see who his replacement will be. But as things stand, Ajax have dropped down to fifth. Uh, they are seven points now behind Feyenoord. Uh, and even, of course, behind Twente now, just two ahead of sixth place Sparta. So they're going back instead of going forward, which is what they'd like to be doing. Uh, and some some really tough times uh, at the club. So we'll be monitoring that uh, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. And we'll, we'll maybe we'll uh, actually take a deep dive uh, into Ajax um, some some point in the future. But uh, for now, let's also quickly move on to some of the other midweek games. We also had a full, another uh, full midweek round uh, in Germany in the Bundesliga this week. There were nine fixtures, of course. That's a full round there. 30 goals in those games. Loads and loads of drama. So we had loads of big results uh, like uh, Schalke beat, uh, losing to Erbe Leipzig 6-1. 
and Hertha Berlin uh, losing to Wolfsburg 5-0. Uh, and Ben was watching some of the games. So, Ben, what did we see there? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, like you said, 30 goals. Uh, this might have been a low-scoring round compared to the one at the, the past weekend, right? That was uh, an insane fixture list that we've had. So, so Bundesliga comes back. Um, I think all the goals that would have been scored in like the month and a half that we had a break are all being scored in like two or three games each round. It's been a quite wild ride. Um, if you, if you like energetic football and you don't watch the Bundesliga, you are missing out. I highly recommend it. Anyone that follows me on Twitter knows that I am a Bundesliga stand, but uh, you really should get into it. But yeah, a big thing I want to talk about would be, so I mean, we covered Wolfsburg. They're doing really well. Uh, they're tied with Leverkusen for the best record of the last five games, but Hertha are very poor, so they lost uh, 5-0 at home. Uh, so they have they have one win in their past four matches. They've, they've passed five matches. They've lost four and won just one. They're not doing well, I think. So they were in the relegation playoffs last uh, last season, and, and they just squeaked by, I'd say. Um, they might have should have gotten relegated because they really have the past couple seasons not been – uh, good really I don't think there's any way we can put it outside of they've just not been good they currently sit 17th the only team worse than them is Schalke who have not been doing very well either who got relegated took a couple seasons to come back and I, they're going to get relegated again this season I don't see them recovering so I would those are my two calls for going down um, but I think Harrison does need to go down and does need to really take a good hard look at themselves their transfers over the past couple seasons they really haven't been working out and just how can we get back to even just mid-table because if they were just be solid in mid-table that might be the level at in the next five seasons um but looking forward this weekend i don't think they they're gonna win again because their fixture uh they host union berlin so obviously these are the two berlin uh big rivals um and union sit second uh, they are just three points behind bayern uh, they've been all right the over the past several games. They've performed really well since coming back after the break, but just before the break, they did have some wavering form, but I do think they're going to, I wouldn't doubt if we see another 5-0 win, to be honest. It's just um, Union are doing really well and Herta are doing very poorly. So look forward to that match. Uh, another match coming up at the weekend that I think that we should be really excited about because I don't know what's going to happen. We could see we could see loads of goals in this one too. Leverkusen hosts Dortmund, and so Leverkusen has been doing extremely well after Xavi Alonso has come in, and he did all right at first, and there were a lot of questions, but now he's uh, completely put those questions to bed. We don't know if this form will be permanent because he's still new at the club, so we can't say if this is just variance and he's going to be an average manager after doing poorly and now exceptionally, but. Uh, he's in exceptional form right now. The team is playing uh, energetic, scintillating football. Um, and Dortmund, obviously, their their last game, the last couple of games have been uh, open would be a term that doesn't capture just how crazy their matches have been recently. So pair that, both them going forward and them conceding, pair that with Chapi Alonso's Leverkusen at the moment, uh, and we could be in for some something that we might take 20 minutes to talk about this pod on Monday. We don't know. So uh, really exciting. Uh, two matches that that both could be very high scoring, one with both teams and one with just another team. So I think, uh, yeah, those are the my two big picks to watch this weekend, if you can only watch the two of them. But but I really, again, a really good fixture list, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see another 25 to 40 goals over the, the nine matches. Yeah, well, uh, that's the Bundesliga for you. 
goals are guaranteed. Obviously, uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, elsewhere, over in Italy and Serie A, we just had the one midweek fixture. But, well, we had quite a few goals there too. Scored just by one team. It was Lazio against Milan, uh, the defending champions, uh, against the Lazio side, uh, whom we have covered previously in the podcast. Uh, and I think it was Alex who, who was uh, quite impressed by how they were starting to shape up under Sari. And, well, they've, they've uh, put out quite a statement win here. Uh, Rafael was watching this game. What happened there, Rafael? Yeah, um, it seems it seems the Seven Sisters of Italy play every week, it seems, nowadays. And every time they play, it's a classic. Um, this game was no different. Uh, the first five minutes were symbolic of Milan's season um, this season. So far, slow from the offset, lack of confidence from every player when they have the ball, especially the defence. And um, completely, completely devoid of any confidence once they entered the um, opposition half. Um, this time it was Savage Lazio. And Sergei Milinkovic Savage to cut the first wound of what would be many. Uh, we've seen it versus Inter in the Super Copa, I think the other week. Um, it takes one, two, maybe maybe sometimes even just three passes and you're, you cut through that Milan defence. And I'm sure I'm not the only one to think this, but the loss of Mike Mignon has been a massive one. Um, for me, when he's fit, he's possibly the top five goalkeepers in the world. Um, and his replacement, um, Taro Tosunu, is definitely not that. Um, it seems when he's playing the Milan defence, is just, they don't they don't trust each other in, in any isolation. I, I think I tweeted this, that when when you attack Milan, you seem to pull out, the, the, the full-backs will pull out, and there'll be a massive gap between the, the centre-backs. And then you can attack the centre-backs. And then once you're attacking the centre-backs, it seems like, they all just play for a different team at that point. And then a shot past Harutasunu and it seems to always go in. Um, once Lazio scored the first, the game was controlled dominance. Uh, the second came through, the third, and then the fourth. Just from like bursts of attacking brilliance from the likes of Felipe Anderson, Luis Alberto. Um, and yeah, the win closes Lazio's gap to one point from Milan. And of course, extends Napoli's um, lead at the top to will be, I think, if Lazio win their next match, will be 15 points. And Lazio walks into the title, literally walk into the title. Um, and for uh, Milan, for Milan, it's just, I think their season was, I think their season in the summer, I think what they did in the summer kind of um, showed their intent towards the season. Not a lot of business was done to fix the problem areas, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of commotion from Milan fans that they lacked the right winger, letting Sami Castaheo go to Valencia. Obviously, they bring on Charles de Catalero. They wanted another centre back to compete with um, Pierre Kalulu and Fakayo Tomori. They didn't bring that in, and there's just been a lot of uh, a lot of talk about how Maldini and Co haven't um, secured Pioli some more transfers to help him retain the title. And it's showing, and yeah, twelve points off Napoli. It, it's almost, it's almost like they're just sinking away from any possible title charge that they thought they would have had coming back um, post World Cup. Yeah, it's what five matches without a win for them. So yeah, as you say, yeah. the title defense has completely unraveled. Um, Let's quickly mention a few other fixtures. Uh, here's one from Monday night, which we really loved uh, from Scotland. 
where uh, in the Scottish Cup we had sixth-tier Darville FC, who are, of course an amateur side, hosting Premiership side Aberdeen, and winning one nil. And it just wasn't a smash and grab one nil win. I think on the balance of play, even the opposition manager Aberdeen's uh, Jim Goodwin said that they deserve to win because they they really they really went toe to toe against the Premiership side, and and they came away with. Uh, the one goal win thanks to a, perhaps a slight slight bit of fortune, a little deflection, but well, we we can't we can't uh, take anything away from their performance. It was an absolutely incredible win for for, for a side that's based in a town of just four thousand people, uh, and there was some really uh, from uh, from their Twitter and from a few fans' uh, Twitter accounts some some beautiful scenes uh, in Darwell after this match. So uh, as you know, we love our cup sets on this podcast. So th- that's one we have to mention. Now, of course, Darwell will face uh, third-tier side Falkirk uh, in the next round, which is the round of 16. And, well, if, if they can beat a Premiership side, you can't, you can't write them off against the League One opposition, certainly. So that, that they're going to be uh, one to watch. Definitely, we'll be keeping a close eye on how their cup run uh, goes. Uh, but el- elsewhere, we, we, we had a game... Uh, in Hungary, a few well, a few games in Hungary this week. Uh, one of them, of course, involved uh, the defending champions Ferenc Varos, who uh, visited uh, Zalaegerszki, uh, and and they came away with a one-two win, a two or a two-one win, thanks to a last-minute winner, uh, which takes their lead up to eleven points, uh, and they still have a game in hand. So they're uh, looking set to defend uh, the title yet again. That will be their fifth straight uh, league title. And a, a cool fun fact I found was that actually. The, these two clubs have some friendly relations, apparently. That's what I could find based on a couple of articles uh, and the Wikipedia. So that was an interesting fact because I believe Ferenc Varos have, uh, well, not very friendly relations against many other Hungarian sides, but uh, not this one. Uh, elsewhere, over in Spain, uh, in Liga F, Barcelona put up their 50th uh, straight victory in the league. Uh, their domination is not showing any signs of slowing down in Spain, at least. Uh, and I believe that is a record for a top-flight league, at least in Europe. Uh, and yeah, well, what can I say? They, they are definitely a class above uh, the rest of the sides there. Of course, uh, there was uh, some uh, bad news for them in midweek when they were uh, uh, they were kicked out of the Copa de la Reina because uh, they fielded an ineligible player in a round, as did Sevilla. Uh, Barcelona have said that they will be appealing the decision, but... Uh, I'm not sure how that will go. So uh, perhaps they they may not be able to complete a domestic double this season uh, because of that issue. Um, and finally, in England, uh, we had the news that Colo uh, Toure, who took who had taken over uh, at Wigan Athletic just a few months back, has been sacked after just nine games in charge. He he failed to uh, get a win in any of those. I, I did see. Uh, Early on in his tenure, after the first couple of games, I did see some people tweeting that there were uh, positive signs uh, and perhaps some signs of improvement or development, but uh, that is not to be. Uh, Wigan have decided to sack him after just nine games. As I said, they're, of course, uh, in the championship, but they're plumb last. They're in the relegation zone, uh, four points from safety. So, And, of course, they have played uh, more games than a couple of sides ahead of them. So... Uh, well, I, I suppose you can certainly understand uh, the decision, the rationale behind it. Uh, and we, we will see who takes over there. But uh, I think that is about it uh, in terms of the fixtures from uh, midweek, 
which uh, we will be uh, which we're uh, reviewing we've got more stuff to preview of course uh, but as you know as we made the announcement uh, on monday that we are uh, moving to patreon or we're uh, well reviving the world football index patreon from february uh, and to help out with that we will be uh, putting up some exclusive content uh, for this friday episode over on patreon which will be uh, the previews for uh, the following weekend's fixtures as well as some transfer talk and of course from next uh, week onwards from february onwards uh, we'll start moving uh, our full friday episodes over to patreon of course uh, the the free feed will remain uh, we'll continue to post there as well all of our monday review episodes will continue to be put out there uh, but if 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 you uh, if you want to uh, get some more uh, football action some more football news uh, more talk about all of these various leagues from all over the world that we do and if you can uh, then of course please do subscribe to our patreon we would really really appreciate it so uh, this is uh, if you're listening on the free feed uh, then this is about it uh, for this episode but uh, if you want more of course please do head over to our patreon and if you are on patreon then stick around because we've got lots more coming for you all right let's talk about uh, some of the weekend's games i know there's there's some some uh, tonight on friday night there's some game between uh, manchester city and some arsenal but we don't care about those we instead will be talking about the polish extra klasa which is going to be back from this weekend uh, ben is, has been following the league for quite some while so ben tell us what we should be watching out for yeah certainly not um what is it, Man- Manchester City, whoever they are? Yeah, what you want to watch is Rakov Czestochowa uh, and, and their nine-point uh, lead at the top of the table now uh, in, in the extra classes. We're starting up. They had their winter break, World Cup and winter break. Uh, so we got a full round of fixtures coming back. Uh, so like I said, Rakov Czestochowa are up by nine points in first. Uh, they have 41, and then it's 32 points in second for Legia Warsaw. Uh, Rakov are playing really great football. Um, they i don't see them missing out at this at this time we'll see how it starts up the next couple matches uh but they were just in in crazy form at the end of the the first half of fixtures so um really see them just walking right now uh just like napoli are obviously in syria ah, they're they're doing a really great job they're the best team uh, they're playing great football too it's more than just results they actually have a really 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 solid team and tactical structure but uh, a big match that I want to call out, this will be my favorite to watch uh, this weekend, would be third versus fourth, and they are tied on 29 points. So in third, and I, I apologize in advance if I butcher these names, uh, Vitsef Wuch with 29 points uh, ahead on goal difference of fourth place, Pogoy Chechen. Um, so again, I apologize for those names. But uh, yeah, they're both tied on 29 points. The only reason right now that we we have, uh, I think it's the head-to-head and goal difference is ahead for Vitsef Wuch, uh, and, and they will be hosting fourth place Pogoish Chechen. Uh, not much to separate these two sides. Uh, obviously, the same on points. Uh, the goal difference is similar. However, uh, there is, when you dive into it a little bit more, both in the structure of the team as well as uh, like the score lines too, you, you see the differences between them. Uh, Vitsef are much more of that. Uh, not They're not defense first in the like park the bus sort of sense, but they have a nice block. They want to force their opponents into having possession with uh, their back line, with their fullbacks. Uh, if they march up the field, they're trying to do it more on the wings. Uh, then they try to smother them and push them backwards again. 
to just, they don't have a lot of possession because they want the opponent to have possession and they want them to have meaningless possession. That's what I see. And, and it's working. Uh, uh, they've only conceded 17 goals in 17 matches. So they're doing well. Uh, they've only scored 22 goals though. So if they're not scoring a ton, that's why they have low goal difference. Even though they're conceding little, they're not scoring as much. Pogoy are a lot more open, both going forward and at the back. They're taking a lot more risks to try to get more goals. They've scored 29 goals and conceded 25. So we do have two kind of different styles of football going on that I think we're going to obviously see Pogoy have a lot more possession uh, than, than Witsef. And we're going to, I, I would assume a draw. That's kind of what I'm thinking about uh, previewing this match, watching these teams. You do see these uh, contrasting teams that Vitsef probably aren't going to concede a lot. And Pogoy do have the option to, to try it when they're trying to get a goal to leave some risks and some open spots at the back, then Vitsef can push forward and, and try and try to get uh, one goal. So I, I it's really going to be interesting. This means more, I think, I, some team has to win because so right now, while there is a nine-point gap at the top of the table between first and second, there is a nine-point gap between third uh, and 12th. And third place is the final uh, Europa Conference League qualifying spot. So while the, the very, very top of the table is maybe not as much of a competition, every single position from literally 12th to third, and you can include second because Legia are only three points above Bitsef and Pogoy. You can say that we have about 12 points between both Conference League spots and 12th. And it's, it's very tight then also from 12th uh, down to 15th. There's only three points between 15th and 12th. So the entire non-relegation spots at this moment within two matches could potentially switch everything up and someone else could be in the conference league spots entirely. So it's, it's extremely competitive. Um, lots of entertaining goals and football in the extra class to begin with. Um, that's a match I, I pointed out as my key one this weekend that I, I would recommend. Uh, if you can't watch, uh, definitely follow that to see the result is going to be meaningful beyond just this game because it's so competitive in, in every single aspect of this table this season uh, that this could really be season changing for one of these two teams, especially if they're both at the top end uh, of the table. At the end of the season, head-to-head uh, -head record is, I think, the first uh, sorting metric, not goal difference in extra classes. So, so this could be extremely important. Yeah, I said those were valiant efforts on those pronunciations, and of course, <laughs> Thank you. Analysis. I actually have been practicing all week. <laughs> <laughs> well, it shows, it shows. Uh, I, I think we should also mention that uh, you say uh, Rakov are first, of course, uh, and they are searching for their first ever league title. Uh, that's why it's quite interesting as well. Maybe that's also one for us to cover in the future. Uh, but they're over 100 years old, uh, but they haven't, of course, won a title before. They've spent a lot of time in the lower divisions, but uh, recently, they've they've had a resurgence, really, and uh, in both of the last two seasons, they finished as the runners-up in the league last season. They were very, very close to winning it, uh, and they, they, they did win uh, two cup titles in those last two years, so they have got some silverware on their hands, but uh, yeah, uh, of course, it, it looks like this season, for sure, they won't be missing out on that elusive first-ever league title, but uh, let's move over now. Let's head over to uh, South America, where we've got the Argentine Liga Profesional uh, season getting underway. Uh, well, uh, I don't know where to start uh, to uh, explain the format because it's a bit 
confusing and to, well last season what we had is we had uh, the copa de la liga first and then in the first half of the year and the liga profesional in the second half of the year but they switched that around this season for i don't know what exact reason but anyway we got the league first so let's enjoy it uh, basically how it works is in the league it's pretty simple uh, the team in first place wins uh, and then there's the copa de la liga which is a sort of league cup type of format but there's longer group stages uh, and then the knockouts and you you get one winner there so you get those two champions uh, but then most of the other uh, spots like the relegation spots uh, and the uh, the copa libertadores spots are decided by the aggregate table which basically takes into account the points won uh, in the league plus the group stage of the copa de la liga so all you need to know for now is that the league is starting and there's some really nice games this weekend chief among those i'd say uh, is uh, defending champions boca juniors uh, taking on atletico tucuman who they of course faced off in a wonderful title race uh, last season atletico tucuman were of course searching for their first ever league title but they ended up just about falling short late late on some huge drama on the last match there i remember uh, and well these two are back at it again they're facing off uh, let's see if tukuman can challenge for the title this year as well uh, but that should be a really interesting game to kick off the season that is i believe on sunday night uh, pretty late for our european listeners but well, i suppose it'd be monday morning for those listening to the far east and uh, a good time in the night for those in the americas so that, that's a pretty big game which i definitely recommend that you watch uh, but uh, let's let's again head over somewhere else let's go to thailand where ben has quite an interesting match for us to watch what have you got ben yes uh very interesting indeed so we have um first versus second we have first place borion united play second place chonbori fc uh and this is interesting because borion united right now are in first place with 42 points undefeated after 16 matches they have 13 wins and three draws no losses uh, they scored 42 goals, only conceded 13 in 16 matches, and they're playing second place with 33 points. Uh, and Chambori are doing very well, too. They have 10 wins, three draws, but then three losses. Um, so it should be extremely interesting. I, I, obviously, Buriram are going to be looking to continuously be undefeated this season. Uh, this will be the second time that they've played. Um, this is where I think la- last fixture was the start of the second half of the season. Uh, so they have already played. Uh, so far, but that was obviously a victory for Boriram. Uh, they won 3-2, and so now they play as hosts. So it should be quite the interesting fixture. I think Boriram can can nick this one off, um, but this would be probably the the biggest challenge that they'll have in the second half of the season to, to play the team right now in second. And actually, uh, Chonbori were in second place and Boriram were in first uh, when they first played this season. Uh, that was match day three, uh, so we have a complete... Uh, basically refixture at a different venue now. So let's look forward to that to see if uh, Boy Rom can continue um, their unbeaten stretch uh, and hopefully make us make a stance to be invincibles this season. Yeah, that should be a very interesting match as well over in Thailand. Uh, let me quickly mention a couple of other nice fixtures this weekend that you might want to watch. Uh, lots of uh, cup finals in Portugal. We've got the League Cup final between Sporting and Porto, I think. Uh, most of uh, our listeners will understand the significance of those two teams facing off. So that's definitely a game to watch. Over in Brazil, we've got uh, 
the Super Cup final, Flamengo against Palmeiras. Of course, the Cup champions against the League champions from last year. That should be a really nice game. Uh, then over in Uruguay, we've also got a Super Cup final. Uh, we've got uh, Nacional, who are probably the most famous European side, against a team called Liverpool FC, uh, who are, of course, not associated with the Liverpool and Merseyside in England. Uh, but these are also uh, a, a very old and historic club from Uruguay. Their name comes from, uh, well, at least from what I read, their name comes from uh, a number of coal ships that, from Liverpool, which came to the city of uh, Montevideo in uh, Uruguay, uh, which is, of course, where they're based. Uh, and because of that, uh, they were named Liverpool FC. Uh, so this should be a really interesting uh, cup final. Of course, uh, th- these two are the teams that won uh, either half of uh, the league last season, the Apertura and Clausura. Uh, and uh, uh, Liverpool do have a Supercopa win to their name uh, from 2020. Uh, but let's see if they can repeat that trick as well. Of course, Nacional have a vast, vast collection of trophies, uh, which they will be looking to add to. Uh, over in Africa, we've got uh, the African Nations Championship uh, reaching its knockout stage. Uh, we've, we've mentioned it uh, briefly in the past, but this uh, things are really heating up now. Uh, for uh, quarterfinals, of course, over the next couple of days, that's Friday and Saturday. Uh, loads of big games, but I'd say the biggest one is probably the host Algeria taking on uh, the Ivory Coast. Uh, that is uh, tonight, just actually an hour after we record. So, well, uh, be a race against time to get this part up before that game kicks off, but I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, let, let's also quickly mention a couple of other uh, fixtures from Europe, uh, tying into the stuff we've spoken about before. Uh, over in the Eredivisie, we've got a big, big game at the top. We've got uh, the leaders Feyenoord visiting uh, Twente, who are, of course, doing quite well as we have explored. So that should be an absolute cracker of a game. And over in Belgium, uh, Anderlecht, who we spoke about last Friday uh, with Doc in what was a really nice uh, deep dive into their season, uh, are hosting uh, Royal Antwerp, who are having a great season themselves, actually. They are up in third, uh, and uh, they uh, aspire to really challenge for the title. They're 10 points off Genk, uh, but of course... We've spoken about the Pro League format, which means that if you're in the top four, you're very much in the title race. So that should be a very interesting match to follow in Belgium. That's on Sunday. That's the early kickoff. Uh, uh, I think it's about 12.30 UTC, if I'm not wrong. So that should be a very interesting match as well. And yeah, I think that's about it uh, for the matches uh, to look forward to this weekend. Uh, do we have anything else we want to mention, guys? Yeah, I'll quickly um, just shout um, Newcastle and Eddie Howe. Um, yeah, I just wanted to shout out Eddie Howe's Newcastle. I feel like the perception of Eddie Howe and Newcastle as, as a team right now is that they're a pretty progressive footballing side, always looking to please the spectator. And despite that being true, um, in reality, their, their mentality shift um, in recent weeks has been quite impressive. Um, I like how Eddie Howe has adopted a kind of Diego Simeone-like mentality with his team. Um, I've seen in the last 20 minutes against Southampton where there's a lot of time wasting, there's a lot of there's a lot of um what you call a professional fouls and pulling them back and a lot when um the defender for Southampton um like kind of got sent off, Jacob Murphy, 
is is waving them goodbye and these little play acting things is just it's just the type of things that you wouldn't have recognized in anyhow during his Bournemouth days. But um obviously he took a year out of management. Um it actually was um broken by the athletic that he went to visit Diego Simeone in Madrid and he overlooked some of his training sessions. So you can see where he got that kind of um, mentality from. And obviously now taking over from Newcastle, he's adopted that kind of siege mentality into his team and it's showing. I also saw it when they played um, Arsenal, they drew that game. I seen it when they played City, they drew that game. And United, all them away games, they drew. And those are games that they didn't look to play football. They didn't look to to dominate the game, but they look, they understand their, their role, their role in the game. They understand they would look, they were the underdog and they adopted that mentality of, okay, we're going to make it very difficult for these guys to score. We're going to make it very difficult for these guys to play. And we're going to almost quiet down the home fans. And that's what they did. And it seems in every away game, that's what they're doing and they're coming successful. Um, they're one foot away from a, a Wembley Cup final, which is their first in 24 years and sit third in the Premier League, um, what Eddie Howe is doing at Newcastle. And more important, progression of Eddie Howe as a manager is quite remarkable. So I just want to quickly shout him out. Yeah, very good points you made there. I, I, I didn't know actually about the fact that he visited Simeone on his year off. But yeah, I guess as you say, it does show up sometimes. Yeah, right then, very impressive. Yeah, uh, let's, let's start uh, talking some transfers. We've got loads of interesting deals to tuck into. Now, let me start off by talking about uh, a move made by Burnley uh, because they have once again dipped into the Belgian Pro League market. Uh, this time, they've gone in for Lyle Foster of Westerlo, who they've play, uh, paid about, I believe, 11 million uh, euros is the figure that's being touted. Uh, first of all, I just want to say that announcement video for... Uh, this sign was incredible. I, I'll link that down. I mean, I guess for the last year, the social media team has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and I think on this, on that basis alone, they deserve promotion. Not, not least also the fact that they are uh, making so many signings from the Pro League, which I do love. Uh, 11 million for Foster is, uh, well, it, it is fairly hefty price, I'd say. Uh, of course, he, he is a, a very promising striker, uh, just 22 years old, is the South African who, who previously uh, played uh, for a number of clubs in Europe, including uh, Monaco, uh, Cercle Bruges in Belgium, Vitória de Guimarães in Portugal. Of course, he'd come through uh, Orlando Pirates uh, in South Africa. Uh, and th- this season, he's got eight goals, I believe, uh, in 17 games, which is a, a, an, an impressive return. Uh, and, and he's got a couple of assists as well. I think it's three assists as well. So uh, an impressive return, but uh, I I do have some perhaps slight doubts as to how exactly he might fit in the Burnley system. Uh, because, of course, uh, Burnley have, uh, the way they play, they, they do tend to like to have a, a big sort of almost target man like a number nine up top. Uh, whereas uh, F- uh, Foster as well has been very much playing uh in a two-player front line, and he, he has had a lot of freedom to move around. So, well, I, su- I suppose the other way to look at it is uh, that uh, he adds uh, an additional dimension, uh, perhaps a different sort of threat uh, to uh, Burnley. And, of course, there's some other roles which he might be utilising. Maybe they start him in a sort of inside-forward role. But n- nonetheless, I-, I do think it's a very interesting move. Uh, a-, a good signing on his own, maybe 11 million. Uh, maybe a little bit of overspending. Uh, certainly for Westerlo, it's a, a brilliant deal to get that amount of money uh, in, in the Pro League. Uh, 
so a really nice piece of business for them. And yeah, I'm excited to see how it goes. Of course, if things do go well, Foster will be a Premier League player by next season. Uh, and I, I'll be very excited to see that. Uh, speaking of Belgium, we've got some, actually a couple of other transfers uh, from the league. Uh, one of them is one that rather caught me off guard. I, I didn't see this one coming. But it's uh, Dante Mazir of uh, Union Saint-Gilvas uh, moving to the New York Red Bulls uh, in MLS or the MLS, as Ben would put it. Uh, how, how do you see this one, Ben? Uh, well, as the resident American on this pod, I think that we should technically say whatever I say is right. So, um, yeah, the MLS, I will say everyone does say the MLS. So um, you can keep giving me a hard time, but I'll keep saying the MLS. So, yeah, Dante Von Zer, um, he has been awesome in in the pro league. And I this caught me off guard, too. I'm I was shocked that he came to the MLS because he could go almost anywhere. So right now, I mean, Union Central Laws are, are, are obviously one of the best clubs uh, in Belgium right now. They were probably unlucky based on the format of the league to not win the title last season. Uh, and they have a good chance again with the format of the league to win the title this season. Um, so he's potentially passing up on a title and possible Champions League to go to to MLS or the MLS. And it's it's eye-opening because it, it kind of sheds light on what the MLS has kind of become in, in recent seasons, where it's a place that players uh, both in Europe as well as especially South America see it, it as a place to go, not only just to develop, but also to hone their finally hone their skills when they're 23, 24, 25, and just really make their mark. And then they can either be the best player in North America, or they can go back to Europe. Um, we've seen quite a lot of transfers recently. Uh, this one particularly is interesting because um he's such a good goal scorer and with the service that the red bulls can give him from the left wing um i think he's going to be a really strong option he's he's immediately going to come in probably score uh at least probably 15 20 goals this season i i think they just uh, so they have lewis morgan uh, a scotsman on the left wing who is just uh one of the best players uh in the country at the moment um doing a really great job they also have a really good left back a really young uh good left back john polkin I'm excited for him just so to see all the what they could do through the left wing to then funnel that in to the striker of literally Champions League caliber is going to be really fun to watch. Um, so keep keep that in mind. It's more than just a transfer for for the Red Bulls. It is this is a transfer for the MLS. The MLS has had a great window uh, that we want that maybe a lot of people wouldn't have expected. It's not 35 year old people like Bonucci and, and Gareth Bale. Uh, and a bunch of other Italians that we've brought in recently. It's it's a bunch of very young, promising players. Uh, Von Zier, one of them, uh, I, I put on Twitter. I can just go through a couple of names. Evander from uh, Michelin as well. It just wanted by everybody. Uh, and a lot of very young players as well from uh, Stevie Bio from Croatia. And then we have a couple of South Americans, uh, Martino Ojeda and, and Carlos Gomez. So really, it's been more than just a transfer for the Red Bulls. This is uh, yet another transfer in the saga that's the MLS in the past two or three seasons, but speaking of the Red Bulls, watch them because this is going to be uh, a, a prolific striker to finish off so many of the moves that they can and do create. Uh, so they're they're definitely going to be uh, favorites for uh, for the title, I think, this year. Yeah, should be, of course, very interesting to watch that when uh, the MLS is back. But let me quickly just touch up on this from an Union point of view because uh, it, it's... 
perhaps slightly concerning. Moser is their top scorer in the league this season. He's got 10 goals. Of course, in the summer, uh, they lost, well, actually it was last January that uh, Dennis Undav was signed by Brighton, but he was loaned back for the rest of the season. Of course, Undav and Moser tore up the Pro League last season, tore up uh, 1B, which is the second division, a couple of years back. And uh, yeah, I suppose, I think I, I tweeted this out when th- this move announced. You know, streets will never forget that partnership either in Belgium. It was uh, it was great. Uh, but well, uh, good things don't last forever. But yeah, for Union, Wanzer uh, has 10 goals. Then they don't really have a prolific scorer after him. They've got uh, Brighton Loney Simon Adingra, who of course joined Brighton from uh, North Zealand. And he's there on loan for this season, who scored six, who's, who's doing really well. But then uh, he, alongside him, they've got Captain Teddy Toema as well on six goals, but five of those are penalties. So he, he isn't really a prolific goal scorer. And then there's people on three goals and two goals. There's a centre-back Christian Burgess on three. They did sign two strikers this summer, uh, both from Scandinavia, Gustav Nielsen and uh, Victor Rocco Boniface, both on just three goals. They are really going to need to step up now uh, if Unio are to keep up uh, their title charge, uh, which, of course, Ben alluded to. So I suppose uh, both sides of this move, uh, both Unio and uh, the New York Red Bulls, should be interesting to follow. Uh, but also, as I said, let's let's stay in Belgium because we've got loads of uh, transfers happening there. Another big one, uh, Julien uh, Duranville Dura, uh, uh, going to uh, Borussia Dortmund from Anderlecht. Ben has been following this uh, very, very exciting young talent. Uh, what, what do you see, Ben? I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that. I'll talk about that. So, Julian Donovan, please, please. Um, I'm sorry for my pronunciation of this name. Um, but Julian Donovan is obviously off the dome. And as you said, this deal has been kind of boiling for the last week. Um, it's, been, it's been reported by um, some few credible um, outlets um some some people were saying it might be off some people were saying it might be on but obviously now um i'm pretty sure it's confirmed today that he will be going to Dortmund, and they like posted um a thank you message a goodbye message for him um he's 16 years old incredibly young insanely young player um to go to Dortmund. but this is kind of Dortmund's um policy we're kind of used to this Dortmund getting players young they did it with Jude Bellingham. they've done it with Erlinghand. they've done it with James Sancho we're used to it and Julian Dunneville is um is is one of the very is one of the very long list of players that will be joining Dortmund at a young age and will be hoping to will be hoping to get first more first team opportunities than he's getting at Anderlecht. Um as a player he's um a winger um insanely he's like he's very much the modern day winger two way um will beat will isolate his man will beat his man get to the byline cross it in will go on the inside will go on the outside um, he's got a step over in his game, really likes to use his step over in his game. I was watching him against West Ham um, live a couple of months ago in Europe League. Um, and um, he was playing against Kufal, I believe. And he had Kufal, for that 45 minutes, he had Kufal on toast. Literally, every time he got the ball against Kufal, was just beating him for pace, beating, crossing it into the likes of Fabio Silva and um, Yair Shannon. And, and it, was just, it, was just, it, was just, it was just nice to see a winger um, who just looks so bright when he gets the ball, and he never he never lacked any confidence or lost any trust in his ability. He was he's very he will just keep going and keep going. Um, Dortmund have been linked to Anthony Elanga actually um, this window, so I don't know if this is kind of their their kind of plan B for him because Manchester United have been very 
um, reminiscent of like trying to let Alanga go due to like not many attackers um, um, to any to Eric Ten Hag. Um, but yeah, this deal seems very sensible from Dortmund. He's a very promising young player from Anderlecht. Anderlecht did not want to let him go from. You look at what Anderlecht fans are saying; they're very annoyed at the club for not keeping this player. But what can you do when a club of Dortmund's size come calling, saying we'll give you opportunity, show you the history of what Dortmund have done for young players and the platform they've given young players in the past? It seemed like a, a quite no-brainer for Donovan, and it'd be very exciting to see his progression in the next few years on the Eric Edin Terzic. Yeah, and I suppose we should also mention the transfer fee, which is, I believe, 8.5 million euros uh, up front and then about 3.5 potential add-ons, which is, I suppose, another reason why Anderlecht simply could not refuse this move because, of course, we've we've, uh, spoken about their financial issues in the past. Uh, So Imagine, like... And just to add on to that, imagine going. So he he was six years old when he when he went to Anderlecht, and now he's going to Dortmund. Imagine being from the age of six to sixteen at one of the best academies in the entire world, and then from the age of sixteen to whenever he's going to stay there, at one of the other best academies in the world. I mean, this guy's he's already so good. Obviously, being sixteen with such a high fee, uh, he's going to be someone to follow because you, you can't be, you have to be so good to be involved in those two academies at such young ages. It's just uh, it's remarkable for a footballer like that. Another thing I actually want to say, um, um, he's at Anderlecht, before Brian Rama came in, they were playing a 3-5-2. And obviously, he's a winger. Um, he wants to be an attacking winger, he wants to play in the final third as much as possible. But you see him being deputized at uh, wing-back, playing left wing-back, playing right wing-back. And he never shrugged any of his defensive abilities. So um, it, oh, it's credit to his mentality as well that he is he is very adept at just being stuck in a position and doing a job. And it's going to be very interesting how he, how he develops. As you said, Ben, being at Anderlecht from the age of six to 16 and then going to Dortmund, um, young players dream of that kind of progression route, you know. It, it's, as, it's as best as it gets, really. Yep, uh, definitely a player to follow very, very closely and uh, a transfer, which is perhaps, I'd, I'd say, one of the best moves off the window. But of course, uh, equally important not to put too much pressure uh, on the 16-year-olds. And I'm sure Dortmund are one of the best places uh, to ensure that. But you also mentioned uh, Fabio Silva there, Rafael. So so let's stick with you because uh, we've had some transfer activity around him too. Of course, uh, last week, last Friday, I was uh, chatting with Doc. And I think it was that time, I think it was on Friday itself that uh, reports came out that uh, Silva had... Uh, a disagreement, a falling out, call it what you will, uh, with uh, Brian Riemer at Anderlecht, uh, and that his his loan deal would uh, be terminated from Wolves. So now he's going off uh, on loan again. This time he's going to PSV in the Eredivisie. Uh, but just tell us a bit about uh, Silva and what PSV can expect from him based on his season before, of course, all this happened. Yeah, um, from an from an outgoing that Anderlecht fans won't want to see to an, an outgoing that Anderlecht fans are uh, rejoicing to see. Um, this deal's quite it's gone quite under the radar in the last few days. As you said, we were talking to you were talking to the doc about it, and he's obviously left Anderlecht due to what has been reported ego issues, commitment issues. He's a player that believes he's better than the level he's playing at, so he he tries to show that he's better than the level he's playing at, and. Brian Ramon has obviously come in and, and has tried to kick that kind of mentality out of the club. And he's 
he she when um before he came in and right before Brian Rama came in, Fabio Silva was playing every minute he can start in. Brian Rama comes in, he's on the bench for pretty much every game he's there. Um yeah, so um he spent the first half of the season obviously and the leg productivity was incredible there. I mean he scored uh nine goals. Um and yeah. Um Fabio Silva's progression as a young player has been interesting because obviously Wolves Wolves got him a couple of seasons back um from Porto and a few seasons later he's now at PSV. Um, I think what's interesting is that Wolves loaned him straight back, despite them struggling for attackers. Obviously, they got Pablo Sarabia for 4.4 million for Paris and Germain, but they're still struggling for bodies in that attacking, in that in that front from that striker. And it's interesting to see them loan him straight back. But I think this move is very smart from PSV. He can continue his development at a league that is very pro development under a manager who is one of the best strikers of his generation in Ruben Nistelrooy. Um, so I like this move. It'll be interesting how he links up with Javi Simmons. Of course, Noni Madueke and Cody Akpo have left to go to the Premier League respectively to Chelsea and Liverpool. So it'll be interesting how them two almost link up as the two young players in that attack that look to be the bright spark in what has been a quite underwhelming short tenure for Ruben Nistelrooy in the last few months. So um, I think Piers Vince fans can be um, excited about this. Fabio Silva, despite his report ego and commitment issues, is a very talented footballer. He's got a very he's got a very desirable skill set in that he's got a nice touch, he's got a nice link up play, he's quite fast, he's got quite a physical build, one that you would see um prospering in the um in the Dutch league. So it'll be very um exciting to see how he does um at PSV. Yeah, and of course, uh, from an underlect point of view, just quickly, uh, we, we touched on this with Doc, but uh, the big question mark for them is where they see their goals coming from because, as you said, Silva is their top scorer. Uh, he's got seven in the league and then uh person in second, Leo Rafailov, has just four. Uh, and it, uh, it, it's just a big question mark as to where they can get goals from. And they need goals because th- they are currently in a very tough spot in the table. So l- let's see uh, how, it, how it goes for them. Of course, they did bring in Understeyer, as we've mentioned previously. So yeah, that's uh, one to watch. Let's let's quickly also mention uh, uh, an interesting move uh, over in England. Uh, the transfer we we'll, we'll talk about the move itself, but uh, the, sorry, the player itself. But first, let's just talk about the deal because, uh, of course, I'm talking about Arnaud Anjuma uh, from Villarreal to the Premier League, and it seemed for all the world that he was signing for Everton, or of course having. Uh, a terrible time to put it mildly at this moment. We covered them on Monday with Matt, who uh, didn't seem particularly happy then, but I, I fear he won't be much happy. Well, I mean, uh, well, what can I even say? He's, he's not had the best of weeks, I'm guessing, because uh, Danjuma reportedly had everything done at Everton. He They even filmed his uh, all the media stuff. They, they There were photos of him in an Everton shirt. It was all done, basically. And then uh, one fine morning, uh, when he's supposed to turn up uh, either for his unveiling or training or something, uh, he, he's not there. And instead, he's, he's on route to London because Tottenham uh, have flown in and they've hijacked the move. So now he's gone to Tottenham on loan for six months. And of course, we do have a resident Tottenham fan. So let's hear from Ben. Uh, what do you make of this move? 
Parma is the first thing that comes to mind. Remember the Willian transfer, uh, supposedly uh, yes. to Tottenham, who then went down the road to Chelsea, right? So the hijackees become the hijackers. And I think, so he's a great player. He's obviously a great player. Uh, can play striker, can play left wing. Um, but who else does Tottenham have there? Harry Kane. Harry Kane's not going to get dropped. Harry Kane only gets dropped when he basically breaks his ankle once a year. Uh, so he's not going to get dropped. Uh, who else do we have in the left wing? Let's just, let's just pick out a random name. Hungman Son. Son doesn't get dropped even when he is playing. I love I love him, my favorite player of all time, uh, very poorly this season. He doesn't get dropped. Uh, even when he breaks his face, he doesn't get dropped. So so where's his place in the team? Because we have a Charleston that kind of would bring in, yes, for depth, but also just to like play. And he basically plays more at the World Cup than he played for us. He did get hurt right before, but he wasn't playing much. And he is a striker. He is a left winger. He is a right winger. And he barely played because Kulusevsky only gets dropped when he's literally unable to play because he is the most important player we've had at Tottenham probably for five seasons straight now. So he can't get dropped. Son doesn't get dropped. Kane doesn't get dropped. So where does Dan Jim come in for a six-month loan? It's a very short-term deal to try to like bring us into top four. But where does he play? Because I I say this because Son might be getting dropped and, and I would like love to be proven wrong. I do like Son, but he might be better coming off the bench, having a few games on the bench to really be like, okay, there's no competition here because Conte wasn't playing Charleston ahead of Son, even during Son's bad run form. For a lot of players, you do have to drop him for a minute to get them back in that 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 scintillating form. And so I'm just worried that we bring it's going to be another transfer failure on the Tottenham side of just disconnect between uh, however many parties that you want to say he is. Is he a great player? Absolutely. But do we have a place for him? Maybe. But will he actually earn that place? I, I don't know. He should, but I don't know if he'll get given that place. That's kind of my big question with the transfer is, is, is it going to be uh, useful? And I would love it to be, but if he just plays depth and he just becomes another Brian Heal, he becomes another, um, uh, I, I forget his name right now, Stephen Bergvine. Sorry about that. But but if he becomes another one of those players that, that can come in and play a role that we need in the team, and he just gets set on the bench and plays junk minutes for five minutes a game. What's the, what's the point of doing that when we could make a, a six month loan signing at center back or six month loan signing at central midfield or a six month loan signing of, of uh, maybe just get Pedro Porn for six months and try him out. Like we need something that's not the position that we have undroppable players for some reason that we also have backups. We also have Brian Heal who can play both wings. So it's a very interesting transfer that I'm excited for the player to come in and also ex excited that we've now hijacked a deal as opposed to being hijacked. Um, so maybe that's great because Willian ended up having obviously a very good career at Chelsea. So maybe this is a good sign, but beyond the player itself, it's what, it, where does he get put in the team if he gets put in the team? And Conte has, and, and, and prior to Conte, actually, we've had several managers in the past that we've brought in players that don't get played when they should be getting played. So it, it'll be interesting to follow. Yep, uh, definitely. Uh, let's quickly also head over to uh, Scandinavia where I've picked out a few interesting moves. Uh, let's start with uh, Mohamed Ofkir, who is joining uh, Volerenga from Sandefjord, having, well, uh, at least in terms of uh, end product, in terms of goals and assists, rather carried Sandefjord to safety last season. He, he was the top scorer in the league, 11 goals, top provider as well. Uh, seven, so, so that makes it 18 goal involvements for him, which is a very impressive return for a side that basically survived relegation on in not just the last day, but like the last five minutes 
uh, of their match there's some crazy drama there as well uh, but yeah um, uh, interesting move from Volerenga's point of view they're of course one of uh, the traditional top sides in uh, Norway but they haven't uh, been performing at the level they'd want to of late uh, but well th- these are the sort of uh, moves uh, that c- could help them get back up to where they they think they belong uh, so an, an interesting deal that another one uh, is Vetan Beresha joining Molde after just half a season at Hammarby so he only joined them uh, last summer uh, last in the summer of 2022 uh, he joined for 2 million he's leaving for 3 million so a uh, nice quick profit there uh, for Hamabi, but uh, I suppose the reason uh, Mould signed him, of course, is the fact that they lost uh, David Datrofofana to Chelsea, so they need a new striker, uh, and uh, they see uh, Berisha as that player. He hasn't, he didn't really, I mean, obviously, he was just there for six months, so he couldn't make much of an impact at Hamabi. did get four goals and an assist in 14 league appearances, of which some were also off the bench, but uh, he, he was in uh, Norway before, he was playing for uh, Viking, and he's got quite an impressive return, actually. He's got 49 goals in 73 appearances. So, if, if that's the sort of form he could put up for, uh, well, a non-title challenger at least, uh, you, you'd presume that he can at least keep that up uh, for Molde, who will be looking to defend uh, their title. Uh, and finally, I've also got one uh, from Romania to France, a move I really like. And a player I really like, it's uh, Alexi Pitu of uh, Farul Constanza, who we, of course, uh, mentioned, uh, was it last week? Yeah, I think it was last week. Uh, they were facing, uh, yeah, they were facing Cefere uh, uh, Kluge uh, in a battle of the top two when we were recording on Monday. It was nil at halftime. We stopped recording. I tuned in for the rest of the match and it ended 3-0 to Kluge. So Farul lost. Uh, but, well... Uh, of course, we'll be following their title uh, challenge uh, still. And Pitu has been a very, very pivotal player for them. He, he's just 20 years old. Uh, another one of the players to come up through uh, the academy, the Academia Haji. Uh, and he had uh, five goals, five assists in the league this season uh, in about, uh, what, about 20 appearances in the end. So it's an impressive return for a young winger. And he's, he's going to Bordeaux in League 2 who are, of course, uh, for challenging for promotion. Uh, they're trying to get back up to the top flight in France, where uh, we've we've spoken as well about uh, the restructuring there. They're cutting down from 20 teams to 18 teams. So this season, just the top two in Ligue 2 will be getting promoted. Bordeaux are there currently. They only have two points, though, uh, to third-place mess, and they're nine away from Le Havre, who are rather running, running away with the league. So... They could certainly do with a player of Pitu's qualities to try and get them those extra few goals that could well be the difference between second and third and therefore the difference between Liga and Ligue 2 football next season. But um, yeah, I think that's about it for this episode. We've talked through a lots of stuff from midweek fixtures to some big games in the weekend and of course transfers. And... Uh, well, as you can see, there's lots of lots of, uh, lots and lots of stuff to look forward to over the weekend. And all of us will be keeping an eye on that. And as ever, we'll be back on Monday uh, when everything will be on the free feed uh, to recap all of the major action from the weekend. Uh, but until then, uh, that's about it from us. Uh, take care and enjoy the football. Goodbye.